Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, the cast of the Straight No Chaser podcast. Hey, what you drink? Okay, so we're about to get into a space that uh, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I haven't been in this space before. You know, I, I pride myself at being pretty comfortable wherever I go. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot to make me nervous. And I'm not going to say that I'm nervous here because I've interviewed some some pretty significant senior executives one-on-one. And, uh, you know, and if you've been listening, you know, every season uh, I tend to have a couple of interviews where I have two people, you know, I bring back some people and we have two people that are interviewed. But this time <laughs> I'm interviewing the entire cast of straight no chaser. And we got three of the four. I, I just I don't know. I, I need you guys to hang with me. Uh, because these dudes are for real. They, I mean, it's the real deal. You know, we talk about this being a space for straight talk that you can't get anywhere else. Um, I don't know how to. I don't know how to come more clean than than bringing the host of Straight No Chaser. So with that, I am honored to welcome in KG. John and Ra from Straight No Chaser. Guys, come on into the room. Welcome to Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. <laughs> Appreciate you, it. It's going to be dope. What's going on, guys? What's going on? Yeah, man, how's it going, brother? No, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, have, uh, I have checked out your podcast. Uh, I haven't checked it out as a podcast because when I first became familiar with your podcast, I saw the, the, the video, the online version, Facebook Live, uh, YouTube Live. And so, I mean, just the, the, the camaraderie that's there uh, just kind of drew me in. And um, I think I started stalking you from a video perspective from that point on. So... I got a lot of questions to ask, but my audience knows that uh, all of this is prelude until I get an answer to this first question. So in order, whatever order you want to take, tell me your name and then tell me what you're drinking. I, I, I will jump out there first. What's going on? Uh, podcast land. Uh, brother, thank you for having us on your show. Uh, you you a grown ass man. So <laughs> if you didn't like us, you probably just would have said, y'all, welcome to Straight No Chaser. Let's get into the convo. But you gave us some hey. good words. I know they're not all idle words. So I appreciate <laughs> you from the heart. Um, Rasheen, uh, the one and only Ra. And what I'm drinking, I am drinking Uncle Nearest. I don't know if Uncle Nearest is in your stash. Pretty sure it is. But, but Uncle Nearest named after the black man who taught jack daniels how to distill whiskey distributed by a black woman all woman executive staff it is the most awarded whiskey in the world since it's been out in distribution uncle nearest to my gym people know i i stand for fawn weaver okay i stand for so that this that is, is joint right here all right wait, sorry i got i got i got to check in so which, which uncle nearest 
because I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of deep into Uncle Near. So do you, are you rolling with the 1856, the 1884, or are you one of those 1820 dudes? Yeah, I'm I'm 1856 all day Eight, long. Okay, 18 1856, and for and we're gonna we're gonna take this moment to put another shout out to the Uncle Nearest crew, Fawn Weaver. Here's another one. Uh, I need to have you on this podcast. Fawn Weaver, Victoria Butler, Sherry Moore. Come on now. Come on now. So let, let, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Who's next? Who's next? Basically, I was, what's up, people? I appreciate it, too. I want to co-sign everything Ross said. You know what I'm saying? Allowing us to be on your podcast and, you know, just come out and talk to you. We have watched some of the episodes and everything. So having us on your platform didn't have to happen, but you did it. And, you know, like Ross said, stand up, dude. We appreciate it and everything. Uh, I am a very, I'm the basic dude of the crew. So I am keeping it very simple. Jack Daniels and Coke. That's it. Very basic. Gets the job done. All right. I like it. Just get in, do what you need to do. Get out. I like it. I like it. All right. So KG, so what you drinking, man? Let's close this out. All right. So Straight notation of the podcast. I am Keltrick. Everybody calls me KG. And if you are familiar with our show, I am always, always drinking some form of tequila. Today's choice of tequila is a Rusposado from Ka, K-A-H. It is phenomenal. I just closed my bottle out. So this is a special moment in time. Rest in peace, Ka. Uh, but I am sipping on tequila as always. Wow. See, I mean... That's an, that's an education, right? That's an education. So uh, one of the things I want to put a nod to is the fact that everybody came with something to drink. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Would expect no less from Straight No Chaser. Showing um, up in here with, with apple juice watered down. Here. We got to do what we got to do sometimes. All right. Well, hey, so um, as my listeners know, I put a lot of thought into what I break out for these conversations based upon the people or the person that I'm planning to have the conversation with. And with, with this one, it, it was it was a tough decision because uh, again, just such a, such a high regard for what I have seen on the podcast from from these guys and the connection that we have uh, through uh, my sister, Dana Bingham Gonilo. It was hard for me to choose uh, which one to go with. So I decided to do something that I have not done before. As a matter of fact, this is a project that I had undertaken of creating an infinity bottle where you take the corners of all of your soldiers right before they, they keel over and pour the corners into a bottle uh, and at the end of this project, you have this this unique concoction that will never be duplicated. And so that's that's what I've done. I've started my infinity bottle. Let me tell you what's in this. Uh, I've got the basic fundamental Buffalo Trace. That's my base. That's 90 proof. But then I've got Ridgemont 1792 full proof, uh, which is a go-to for me. That's That's 125 proof. Uh, I've got Booker's Bluegrass, which is 127.9, Four Roses Small Batch, which is 104, and then I just put in some Elijah Craig Small Batch 94, and I've just been simmering this, and I've I've, I've got this in an I.W. Harper 
15 year bottle because it looks like a can it looks like a decanter it's this is like amazing the only corner that i haven't put in here is uncle nearest 1820 because I can't find that bad boy anywhere anymore. So I'm just, I'm afraid to finish that off. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and pour a little bit of this. Mm. Interesting. See, form like Voltron. And we're going to, we're going to see what, see what I've been brewing here. Salute, cheers. Mm. Oh, good Lord Almighty. Good Lord Almighty. How long did you let it simmer? Um, I, I've been doing this one for about six months, excuse me, six months. Oh my gosh. This has a, this has a kick too. This has a kick to it. And, uh, I'm going to enjoy this bottle. Cause I don't know when I'm going to open this again, uh, to pour some out. Usually I pour stuff in, but because of this conversation, I felt like it was appropriate to have a mix of whiskeys so that uh, we could get into this mix of conversations. So while I enjoy this, I would love for one or all of you to talk a little bit about what is this podcast that you guys have? The backdrop that I'll share is you guys have been friends for a long time, and this was just a crazy idea that you guys had after connecting to catch up. And you decide what the heck, let's let it up. Let's let other folks hear what we talk about. But somebody give, give me a background as to what is this straight no chaser phenomenon that, that that's that's happening from your mouth to the Internet's ears. We like that word phenomenon. We're just uh, four friends. Like you said, we have known each other for going on 20 years, 20 years plus. We all were connected via Howard, but we all came from various different places and so on and so forth. So we got a, we're very different, but we're all very good friends and everything. And over the pandemic, when COVID hit, uh, we used to be able to get together at least, you know, once a month, every now and then, go out, chop it up, chill, talk. We couldn't do that anymore. So came up with the Zoom calls and boom, it went from there. Can, can I add to that in terms of because I, I don't want anything to go go um, over right. people's heads when John says um, I want to speak to the special sauce when John says we are very different. You have four distinct personalities. And right now we live in an age where when fellas run together, they're cookie cutter carbon copy images of each other. They all dress the same, talk the same, drive the same, deal with the same type of women. We are four unique dudes that have been anchored into each other's lives. And I think for us, that's that special. I used to tell Neil all the time, you couldn't put a better four-man crew together. You couldn't. So that's the thing that kind of keeps us going. Yeah, you know, that, that's a very interesting point. That's one of the things that I'm going to tell you, I, I, was, I was watching a couple of episodes because I was trying to figure out what the connection was because at one one episode it seemed like you know two of you were, were ganging up on one person and and the next episode the other two it's like wait a second i don't understand who's in and who's out right out out to ask, answer your previous question and then jumping on this one i would say that the foundation of our show is friendship at the end of the day mm. we're all close friends um we've been in each other's lives we've been in each other's weddings the birth of our children, um, 
even supporting separations, the whole, whatever you can imagine that happens in life, we have been there for one another throughout those, those stages, good, bad, ugly, and then the ones we can even talk about publicly. And I think because of that connection, we're able to have some really robust discussions. And to your point, we can disagree hard, real hard. And there's no hard feelings. We know it's all love. And it's coming from a, a space of care, affection, concern, and sometimes tough love, quite frankly. Mm. We get a chance to have those discussions publicly, like people get a chance to get, you know, peek behind the curtain, so to speak, and see how we are to Ross point. We're very distinctly different personalities. Everybody kind of shows up with their own uniquenesses. You know, Neil, if we have a bet, this will be the first person to curse. Like, we're gonna, <laughs> if we got to bet money, my money is always going to be on Neil to, to throw out the first, you know, vulgarity. John's going to be the first person to make everybody laugh. I might say something a little off the wall. Rasheem is typically trying to be grounded, but, you know, he can be evil rod times as well. So, you know, that comes out too. So we just have a good time people get a chance to actually see, you know, a bunch of black men that are friends and it's not, I'm trying to think like, you don't really see that kind of thing that often. You see it, you know, movies or TV shows or whatever the case is like that. But it's hard, I think, for people to make friends, especially as we get older. We're all in our 40s, almost in our 50s. You know what I'm saying? And we've known each other for a long time. And I think that that energy kind of shows itself to people. And, you know, we can have conversations about anything from something trivial to something very, very serious because we are all, you know, tight and we know one another and so on and so forth. So it's kind of like giving people a window into the kind of conversations that I think other people have. Everybody's got their own little group of friends, but you very rarely see them people and hear what they talk about. It's kind of stuff that you just see at this point in time you see it on the internet or you see it via text message or something but to actually hear dudes that's actually friendly talking is especially black men uh does not happen that much that i'm aware of and it's not always about what black women are doing and not doing yeah. that kind of energy yeah it's it's definitely my experience has been that it's definitely not the stereotypical conversations that that you see from us that are you know on the television shows uh because very often you know I, I will see some of those characterizations on on television shows and can't identify with it right because that's just that's not how i talk that's not what i talk about that's not my perspective but uh inevitably when i watch one of your podcasts i find myself agreeing wholeheartedly with one of you on a topic. But as soon as we go to the, another, the, to the next topic, I'm agreeing with somebody else because that previous dude has totally lost his mind on this one, right? <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about, okay, so John, when, when you did your, your intro, you said that you guys have your foundation in that you all met and, and formed your friendship at Howard. But you didn't say Howard University, so I just want to put that out there specifically. Howard University, uh, because there there are two things that I, I'd love to get into. Number one, uh, I, I'm sure that you all aren't the only people that you have met from Howard University. Of all the folks on campus, of all the folks that you've run into, what is it about this this group? Uh, you know, these three guys that have caused each of you to say. Let's keep doing this. All four of us didn't meet at Howard University. 
Neil and I met a year before the two of us met both John and Keltrick at the same time. We met the summer before we came down to Howard University back in New York at this poetry spot in Harlem called Sugar Shack Cafe. We bumped into each other at Howard mm. and in, in the lobby of the, of the East Towers. And then it was like, hey, yo, I saw you at, and then we started having a common conversation. And at that point, we started, of course, comparing notes because we were both from New York, um, saw each other in New York, come to find out we both were poets. We liked to write. I mean, that's how he saw I was performing at the show. Then come to find out we both got the same birthday, just a year apart. Oh, wow. Um, and then we found out there was a particular young lady we were both seeing at the same time. Me, when I was upstate New York in school with her and him, when he was downstate, he was her uh, downstate boyfriend. Didn't know. And I, I, I've heard of Blood Brothers, but that's a little bit too close, man. It was crazy. <laughs> it was it was crazy. But but for me, it spoke <laughs> to right. You know, it, it spoke to the serendipitous nature of the connection. You know, and then when you get a year later, both Neil and I are you know we young, we struggling, we're on our own, and then we bump into um, trying to make ends meet. We work a summer program, and these two gentlemen are also working the summer program, John and Keltrick. And then we start to bond over the struggles, the challenges, the obstacles, just trying to grow in to be black men at Howard University confronted with a whole bunch of things that's trying to take us out. And I think we were able to, to form as a unit to get us through each day. But we saw something special in, in the way we supported each other in that summer that didn't look like any other support that I had gotten from any other group of black men that I had been with up to that point. Absolutely. And it was, it was worth preserving over time. I'll add to this, to this point. So at the time I was pursuing Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. One of the people that was over the program was a member of the chapter, Alpha chapter at Howard University. And so when, when I met Rasheen, Neil and John, they were just, part of the program. John can tell his version of kind of how he got involved in that as well. But you can hear Rashim and be like, all right, this, this guy's kind of interesting, right? The way he speaks, his command of the room, like he, he has that aura about him. Neil and I had radio wars. So we would turn our radios up loud in the dorm. We would see who had the loudest system. And I always won, by the way. <laughs> and so we just got cool off of music. And then John and I had met previously just through a kind of like the interaction that Neil and Rashim had, like, Hey, I seen you before. I remember you. And it was just like, okay, cool. And so the four of us, we were the, I think if you think about all the, because there were other guys that were part of the program, these were just the four that I would say I gravitated to. Like this, this group of people were the ones who I thought were intriguing, authentic, honest, consistent, um, present, caring at the right level, and not guarded and fake and phony. So, and then over the course of that time frame, my grandmother died. And the support that I received from these men at that time frame, because it was that was a pivotal moment for me. It was beyond what I could have expected. And you know, from that from that moment on, we have been each other's lives at various points to support, lift up, tough love, all of those things that I shared earlier. I mean, we we had no hot water together when we lived in the house together, and we wow. lived through that. Wow. You know, we used to, we didn't have any cables. So we would sit in the hallway and just talk to each other for like hours upon hours. You know, people don't know those types of struggles. Like we had no money, so now we got some money and we can do all of these things we want to do now. So it's, yeah. it's a really great experience that we can look back on. Yeah. It, it, you know, if you're fortunate, then you're able to create new friends. 
but no matter how much fortune you have, you can never create new old friends. So uh, that is just tremendous. The uh, The other area that I wanted to uh, get your perspective on, because we've we've heard a lot in the news recently in the past few years about the strength of HBCUs, uh, Howard in particular with Kamala Harris becoming the first African-American vice president. But HBCUs, there has been something that I have experienced because I did not go to an HBCU myself. But I, I, I've, I've had a lot of friends, really, really close friends who are alums of HBCUs. And I've said this before, and um, usually this, this almost causes a fight until I explain it. But usually my experience with HBCU alums is y'all come with like this confidence day one, like before you've even done anything. It's like before you've done anything to prove that you've got anything, there's this air, there's this arrogance that usually gets bared out, but not at day one. And what is that? And is that true or is that just my is that just my perception? I wouldn't call it arrogance. I would say it's confident because you've endured. There was a struggle that occurs at an HBCU mm-hmm. where you're among people who look like you, people who have some common experiences that, that may be familiar with you. And when you complete that process and cycle, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, everybody kind of going through the same rite of passage, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And once you complete that process, you know, you can look at a fellow HU alum and be like, you know what it's like to be at the Mecca. You know what it's like to go through the capstone. You know what it's like to walk the yard. You know what it's like to go to the calf, go to the punch out. All of these things are, are just, you know, communal experiences that everybody kind of shares. And when you finish that experience, you know, we still go back. We go to homecoming. We have a great time at homecoming. Some people get money. A lot of people don't. But that's another story. <laughs> Um, but we, you know, we love it. It's HU. I have a very different, I guess, experience than Keltrick, Rashim, Neil. I was initially not a student. That period that they were talking about, where we all met at the camp and everything like that, I wasn't a student at Howard at that time. I was going to school at Prairie View A&M. I have a totally different, like, outlook on things. I used to be in the military, a bunch of different experiences and everything else. All that to say, I feel like Howard really prepared, at least me, for the quote unquote real world in the sense that if there was something that I needed to do, nobody was going to be able to necessarily help me. I had to figure it out, but I could find that one person that could help me. And it's kind of, that's been something that I've taken on with me throughout time. A real quick story. I was going to school at Prairie View A&M. I was in contact because this was after the summer that we all met, which was like summer of 99. So I was going to Prairie View at that time, and I had gone back after the summer, go back to school in Texas, and I was talking to Ra over the Christmas break going into the year 2000, and I was upset, and I didn't want to go back to school at Prairie View, et cetera, et cetera. He was like, yo, come up here to Howard. Hmm. We can work it out. We'll come up here to Howard. Now, again, this was when we was young. Uh, Ra was probably older than me and more established or whatever you could say, but he wasn't, you know what I'm saying, like the dean or nothing like that. He was like, he worked at Howard. He was still living in the dorm. So I'll put it to you like that. So, you know, it wasn't like he was big time, but, and I knew that, but the whole of it all was, was like, 
I had enough faith and belief in like Rashim and who he was, because I knew him very well, and Keltrick and who he was, and Neil and who he was, that I could say, okay, and who and John and who I was, that I could say, even if everything fell apart, I feel like I'm I could kind of make make it happen in DC by myself, essentially. But then when I went up there, Rob took me like by the hand and walked me around the school and was like, yo, here's a dorm room. Talk to this person about getting enrolled. Here's the damn financial aid. You know, all those other little things that I never had. No, like people didn't go to college in my family. I was the first person to go. Mm. Nobody told me about financial aid, loans, you know, all that other good stuff. So like Howard prepared me for real life in the sense that they might tell you, yo, you are out of money for the for the year. So I don't know what you're going to do. You're kind of short. You can't call mom and dad, or at least I couldn't. You've got to figure it out. And that's really how the real world is. You are going to be told no, but you got to kind of, you know, work your jelly a little bit and figure it out. And that was like the first time that I was like, okay, this is kind of how it is. So it's, what I'm trying to say is speaking to your point about why certain historically black colleges uh, graduates come in and feel like, oh, you know, I've experienced I got this toughness or whatever the case is. That's how I looked at it. Yeah. It, it, I'll tell you from my perspective, Howard for me was grad school. My my undergraduate experience was a PWI or HWI, historically white institution, upstate New York. And for people who don't know, upstate New York ain't no different than deep south when dealing with people of other colors. They are just as racist, if not more. So I had that experience for five years. It took me five years to get out of the University of Albany, five whole years. And I'm talking about fighting, you know, black male sco- scapegoating, you know, when crimes g- go down, they coming up campus looking for all the black students to be like, it had to been one of them fighting classmates, literally calling you the N word as they walk across campus fighting. And, you know, cause we a little bit old watching OJ Simpson, the verdict come down in a campus center. You 10% of the population, you surrounded by, you look like a chocolate chip in the cookie dough and they are irate. So having that experience and then getting down to Howard and I was seeing, you know, like, yeah, we're struggling. I'm like, ain't nobody called you. What are you struggling? Like you surrounded by your people in all this culture. I was calling my folks up talking about, listen, we've been living on the ugly side of the world. Everybody need to come down here. Like that whole idea of a black aesthetic where you see black beauty and you're surrounded by that loved it and i think that fed the confidence mm-hmm. that when you're at a white school and you're part of the black student union you know what it could look like but you don't see it in mass yeah you get the howard you surrounded by your people it's like oh my god and that support for four years three years five years however many years someone's that support shapes your worldview so now when you step off that college campus it's like i got i got a million people who got my back yeah whether i see them or not so i think that plays into the confidence as well hey it's not too late hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode if you're really enjoying the vibe leave us a review or become a vip for guests and show exclusives cheers
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.